After Japan's crushing defeats at Midway and Guadalcanal, Admiral Yamamoto, a strategic mastermind behind the infamous attack of Pearl Harbor, planned a tour of frontline bases to restore flagging morale. American codebreakers intercepted a message which included explicit details of Yamamoto's schedule. A plan to intercept was devised. History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. Welcome to Hour 3 of Bill McLive on this Tuesday, the 18th day of April 2023. Nice to have you along with us on 92.7 FM, 1240 or 1350 AM, and of course, the iHeartRadio app, wherever you may be listening. Appreciate you taking the time, spending it with us here on WMMB. If it's Tuesday, it's Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington. And uh, there are links to Dave's other podcasts and his history bibliography at BillMick.com on the show page today, which is entitled AI and Life. If you missed any of that conversation in our first two hours, you can always pick Bill Mick Live up on demand on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel and the podcast section at BillMick.com. Dave Bowman, how are you, my friend? I'm concerned, I- Bill. I mean, all this AI stuff, can you imagine what happens to history once AI gets a hold of it? Well, probably the same thing that happens once Hollywood gets a hold yeah, of it, right? Well, that's true. Too. <laughs> that is also true. So It could be that. What's going on in Dave's world, man? It's good to have you back two weeks in a row, and that's good. Yeah, it's it's good that we're getting stronger, getting getting better as time goes by. So good, good, good. I thought we'd start this morning. Um, I got a question on the text machine from last week's show, and for those of you that are wondering... Usually the best way to get a hold of me is by text, uh, 209-565-3283. I do have an email address, Dave at the Dave Bowman Show, but Com. I, I hardly use it. So it's I don't read yeah. emails. Send Dave an email. He doesn't read an email. Right. That's just how it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm opposed to email, generally speaking. Um, so question from last week's show about the, uh, the the loss of the thresher. Hey, Dave, listening to your latest DDH about the thresher, are you saying the loss of the thresher was due to the poor condition of the ship having been subjected to extreme tests and not uh, properly repaired? Loss of the thresher is credited with the creation of the subsafe program. Seems like this is much more complicated than it appears. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. The, the, the thresher was not ready for sea. Um, the shipyards were focused on the ballistic missile submarines at the time, which was the national priority. There are reams of documents complaining about the fact that she had not been properly maintained or repaired. Um, but that's what sailors do. They go to sea when they're told to. And this was a case where uh, things went wrong really quickly. As far as the subsafe program goes, the subsafe program did come out of the loss of the thresher, and this was the idea that we do extra stuff uh, for submarines to make sure that they're safe. But it's a program; it's it's a paper paper trail. It it doesn't necessarily mean that things have actually been done. In fact, five years later, when the Scorpion uh, goes down, depending on which side of the argument you're on, uh, she was um, she was either sunk by the Russians or she was in such horrific shape uh, that she was, you know, depth limited to like 150 feet because she was not subsafe and she was not well maintained. So 
Yeah, all that came out. If of you've that. got a commander that's pencil whipping the paperwork, yeah, you're saying it's ready when it's not. I mean, I've seen pencil whip commanders, and that's not necessarily yeah. a good thing. I don't think any of these guys were. I mean, they made it clear what their complaints were. It's all right there in the reports. But, you know, it was a different time, Bill. The Cold War was at its height, mm-hmm. and national defense was seen uh, in a priority that it's not seen today, uh, although it should be. Uh, and things were rushed. And we're seeing a lot of the same problems now with our uh, shipyards and maintenance of, of ships is is starting to become very shoddy, in my opinion. Training is not good. And, uh, you know, we saw an incident last fall in in San Diego where two ships almost ran into each other uh, in the San Diego Harbor. I mean, how the hell does that happen? But anyway, uh, just because you say you have a program doesn't mean that it's actually doing anything. It just means that you say you have a program. And there's an old civil service saying that goes like this. The less you intend to do about something, the more you have to talk about it. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that's that's kind of the way of things. Very good. We get to Dave Does History when we continue in just one minute here on Bill Mick Live. Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman, where are we going today? April 18th is one of those dates that I call a nexus date. It's It's one of those dates where things in history just seem to happen. April 18th and especially... That that overnight period, April 18th, April 19th, uh, depending on which side of the international dateline you're on, this is one of those days, Bill, that history happens. And it so, has the benefit of being tax day today. So there you go. Well, yeah, I don't know if that's a benefit or not. I already got my return. So <laughs> Me too. That, that in a week. That in a week. $44 back. So wow. Good be, for you, Dave. Well, I mean, it's more than I've gotten back in the last 10 years. So that's there a you good go. Thing. Uh, on this date in 796, one of my favorite people in history, a, a English king by the name of Ethelred, was killed and replaced by uh, some other folks. It really isn't me- meaningful to anybody except that I love the name Ethelred. If I was uh, naming my son again, I might reconsider. Uh, there was there's a whole <laughs> series. Man. There's a whole series of Ethelreds, including the best one, which is a guy by the name of Ethelred the Unready. Okay. <laughs> which, is, which is a misinterpretation of his name, which is actually Ethelred the Stupid. But there you go. Fif- There's a Monty Python skit in yeah, that somewhere. There really is. is. In 1521, Martin Luther was on trial to be uh, for heresy, you know, for mm-hmm. nailing his theses. In 1689, something most people don't know about, the city of Boston rebelled against the British governor. They They were ready to go to war in 1689 because this guy mm. was such a jerk. And maybe someday in the future we'll talk about that. Of course, it's this night that the British moves begin, uh, that Paul Revere rides to warn everyone that the British are coming, the British are coming. Uh, In 1783, long before the Constitution, the Three-Fifths Compromise comes into play uh, as part of the Articles of Confederation. So when somebody tells you that 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 was, you know, the Constitution people were pro-slavery, it was long before that. 1847, the Battle of Cerro Gordo, which is not well known to most Americans, but it's this battle that actually leads to the direct American invasion of Mexico in the war, the Mexican-American War. Mm. Of course, you mentioned earlier the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Right. Probably the best one in 1930, the BBC went on the air and reported, quote, there is no news today, unquote, (laughs) and proceeded to play music for the next hour. Speaking of Monty Python, there you have it. 
1942 was the Doolittle Raid on uh, England on, on Japan, which mm-hmm. set off a whole series of events. 1954, NASA, NASA seizes power in, in Egypt. But today, I want to focus on 1953, which is, I'm sorry, 1943. Um, it would have been really easy to go with, uh, you know, the British and the Revolutionary War and Paul Revere and, of course, the Doolittle Raid. But there's a little known thing that happens on this day in 1943 that I think is important for us to understand because it is the epitome of what America really accomplished during the Second World War. When, when the Doolittle Raid happened, of course, this set off uh, Yamamoto, Irosuko Yamamoto, the Japanese admiral, decided at that point to uh, capture the Midway Island because he wanted to protect Japan. And, of course, that led to the Battle of Midway, which was an American intelligence coup. We broke their codes. We were reading all this stuff. We knew what was coming. And we were able to essentially ambush the Japanese at the Battle of Midway, sink four aircraft carriers, uh, lost lost one of our own, but literally shattered the the offensive capability of the Japanese Navy at the Battle of Midway. This was followed by, and we've talked about, the Battle of Guadalcanal, the, the Guadalcanal campaign, which took six to eight months, which was a an attrition fight where the Japanese kept trying to reinforce. We kept trying to reinforce. It was all kinds of uh, heavy fighting, and it's really, uh, it's the Marines, I mean, w- one of their greatest hours. When that was over, though, and the Japanese had a, had finally evacuated Guadalcanal, their morale was at a dead low. Now, we don't think of the Japanese soldiers that way. We tend to think of them as very, you know, Kota Bushido, uh, Banzai kind of thing. But the truth was, they were beaten, and they were really depressed. They were hungry. They had been evacuated. Some of them, you know, not survived. And morale was at an all-time low for the Japanese Army and the Japanese Navy in, in, in early 1943. Irosuko Yamamoto, who was the commander of the Japanese Navy, was well-known to Americans. He had been the mastermind of the Pearl Harbor attack and educated in the United States and was usually seen on so- as soft on America. But he wasn't, and we'll tell you more about that coming up after the break. Good to have you along as Dave does history on Bill Mick Live. We'll let you in with comments in our final segment of the hour. We've got all of this to get through with uh, our weekly dive into history with a look at what it does for us today. And if we fail to learn it, AI may just teach us something completely different as we discussed in our first two hours this morning. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday on Bill Mick Live. Of course, anything you missed in the podcast section at BillMick.com and the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Five grand up for grabs just for listening on your mobile device with the iHeartRadio app. Give that a look. Good luck.
Today's history lesson is brought to you by Dave Does History. It's what we do every Tuesday on Bill Mick Live, and uh, we're in the middle of April the 18th of 1943. Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington, getting up bright and early for us every Tuesday here. All right, Dave, where are we at, man? Wait, do I have a brand now? You do. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's that's our uh, who's, that's our voice guy, Victor Lyle. Who's the marketing job. genius that didn't tell me what was going on? <laughs> so when we, uh, she she works at Bud Light. Yeah. So when we <laughs> left you, uh, things were not going well for the Japanese Empire during the Second World War. But by by early 1943, strategically, the, the, the issue is still in doubt. Now, in a real sense, it's not because the United States is just starting to bring its industrial power into this, but. But tactically, the issue is still really in doubt. And the Japanese Army and the Japanese Navy are just, their morale is just at rock bottom. They've been beaten at Midway. They've been beaten on Guadalcanal. The United States is becoming more and more aggressive, getting newer and newer weapons, including the F-4U Corsair airplane, you know, the Pappy Boeington and the the Black Sheep Squadron, Mm -hmm. and another plane called the P-38 Lightning which they just hate that plane because that plane, the devil's cross is what they call it. It it's so good that it just scares the living crap out of their pilots. I mean, it's, they don't, they're getting worried about things and morale's at an absolute bottom. So Irosuko Yamamoto, the commander of the Japanese Navy, who is again, the mastermind of the Pearl Harbor attack. He's educated in the United States. He's seen, history tends to see him as soft on the United States because because of his one comment after Pearl Harbor, I fear we've just awakened a sleeping giant. But reality is much different. He is very aggressive, very tough, and he at one point actually says that he personally will sit in the Oval Office and dictate terms to Roosevelt when we, when, when we lose the war. Really? And, most Americans of that era know that Yamamoto. I'm not sure why we don't seem to know that one today. He is very. Is it because we tended to vilify the Japanese in every bit of media after the war and, and during? I mean, look at the cartoons from the era yeah. and, and everything else that's come out. Right. But, he, but it's post war that he becomes seen as more soft than, mm-hmm. than he really is. And after the two disasters at Midway and Guadalcanal, there's a great scene in the movie Midway. At the end where, uh, you know, how will we explain this to his majesty, the emperor? And he lowers his binoculars and says, I alone will, will, you know, apologize to the emperor for this. After these two disasters, he hits on an idea, which is that he's going to go improve the morale of, of the troops. And so he's going to take a morale tour specifically to a place called Bougainville, which is now the front line of the fight. He's going to fly there in a couple of uh, Betty bombers with his entourage, and they are going to encourage the troops. And as they begin to make this tour, there's actually a picture of him standing in front of the troops, saluting them and, you know, giving them the rah-rah, bonsai, bonsai cheers. And the whole tour seems to be going very, very well. But there's something that Yamamoto doesn't seem to grasp You'd think he would, but so far, he hasn't figured out the real problem that he has, which isn't his morale. It's what the United States is doing to him. 
And we find out in 30 seconds on WMMB. Coming up later today, from the beginning hour of Glenn Beck through the final hour of Sean Hannity, it's inflation compensation. When you hear the keyword during each hour of those shows, you will have the opportunity, and every show in between, Clay and Buck in the middle there, you will have a keyword. You enter on the website at WMMBAM.com. It's a nationwide contest, and that $1,000 could be yours. Enter it on the website at WMMBAM.com. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. So, Yamamoto, Dave, is on a on a publicity tour trying to cheer up the troops, and he's got something that he's not realized. He, for some reason, and, you know, I, I'm a history guy, I'm a Navy guy, I've never really grasped why he didn't figure this out. And that is that the United States has been reading his mail. They have broken his codes. They broke his codes years ago. And they have been reading his mail for well over two years. In fact, the whole ambush at Midway is set up because we're reading their their codes. We're reading their messages. Now, we're not reading 100% of it, but if you get enough of it, you know what's coming. And the code breakers have read all the plans for this trip that Yamamoto is going to make. They know exactly when he's going to be at what airfield what the route they're taking is. But the problem is, it's just a bit too far away. Bougainville is just a little too far away from Guadalcanal for the for the fighter planes to make it. So they start thinking, can, what can we do to maybe get Yamamoto and get some, what's the word for it? Oh yeah, vengeance on the guy who masterminded the attack on Pearl Harbor. And they start putting together this plan. They decide to use those P-38s that I was talking about because they are the longest-ranged plane, and they're going to attach drop tanks to it so that they have extra fuel. And they're going to use the 339th Army Air Corps Squadron of P-38s because this is really the best option. There's 18 of these aircraft. And the commander of this makes one request before he decides to accept the mission. And that is he wants a Navy compass in his airplane because the the Army compasses are known not to be as good as the Navy compasses are. And if he's going to fly over water... Like we two, couldn't share the technology or what? I guess. I don't know. But, <laughs> but if he's going like to the fly, FBI working with the DEA. Come right. on. If he's going to take off and fly two hours over water... He wants a real accurate compass, and he knows that the Navy compasses are better than his. Very so good. They, they, they agree to do this. Now, when they take off at 7.25-ish in the morning from Guadalcanal, two of the planes immediately turn back because they have mechanical issues, which leaves 16 of these P-38s to fly two, almost two and a half hours to Bogan. I'm, 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 let me interrupt you for a second. You said they had 18 of these. They're committing every one of these they have in the fleet to go do this. Everyone in that squadron, yes. Oh, okay. Very good. There were two other squadrons that were also involved, but they were doing distractions in other places. Okay, they, I got you. So, but the, the 339th is the, is the squadron that's actually making the attack, if they can pull this off. Because first, they've got to navigate all the way there, you know, dead reckoning with this compass. They have to time it so that they get there just as Yamamoto's airplanes are coming in. And then they got to figure out which one he's on, because there's four or five of these airplanes. So, you know, it's not an easy thing. 
at about 9.20, 9.30 in the morning over Bougainville, the, the 339th actually manages to intercept the Japanese airplanes. In a dogfight for the ages, two of the planes are shot down. And they land in one lands in the jungle, one lands in the ocean. The rest get away. Did we get him? Well, that's the question what we got to ask when we get back after this break. And we will do that with Dave Bowman and Dave Does History. Interesting look at a story we may not have known. And I'm glad Dave digs into this and is able to share it with us. Tomorrow on the show, by the way, a wide open Wednesday. Anything you want to talk Anytime you call us, and uh, the one day a week, I allow off-topic calls because nothing's off-topic because it's your day on Bill Mick Live. It starts at 6 a.m., and we let you talk anything you like. I look forward to those days as well. We're back with Dave Does History and more of your calls in a moment. Common Sense on Common Radio. And on Tuesdays in our 8 o'clock hour, it's Dave Does History. Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington this morning as we're taking a look at uh, taking out Yamamoto. And uh, the question is, can the Army Air Corps make it happen? Dave, where are we at now, sir? So these 16 P-38s come across the the flight. There's four, maybe five of these Japanese Betty bombers. Nobody knows for sure who's in which one. But, of course, as soon as the bombers see the fighters coming in, they scatter. They go every which way, which means you got to split up. Now you got to find them. You're, you're at low level. You're against the, the, the jungle background. It's hard to see. And ultimately, two of these planes get shot down. One lands in the jungle. The other actually lands in the water. Now, the plane that lands in the water actually has Yamamoto's assistant on it, and he's pretty ticked off. He actually survives the crash. He gets out, walks ashore, and he is not happy. He's screaming and yelling and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it isn't until a, a day or so later that they find the other plane that crashed. And, of course, as it turns out, it is Yamamoto's plane. But he wasn't killed by the crash. The crash probably was survivable. But as it turns out, when the P-38 attacked the plane, they managed to actually hit Yamamoto twice, once in the head, once in the chest, with their 20-millimeter cannons and, and almost killed him instantly. So he is dead. And the Japanese have to wait a bit because they got to confirm it. They got to get it back to, to uh, you know, Tokyo and that kind of stuff. And it isn't until about two weeks later that they actually admit that Yamamoto has been killed, which, of course, sets off a a media firestorm in the United States. How did we do this? What did we do? How did we? And the pilots themselves, 
it's really bizarre, Bill, because there's one pilot that makes the claim, I did this, but nobody can confirm it. Nobody seems to be able to to actually do it. He does newspaper interviews and magazine interviews and gets an award and the whole nine yards. But then later on, it's like, did he really do it? We don't really know if he did or not. And the problem is with these interviews that it becomes obvious to anybody that's paying attention that the United States knew exactly where he was going to be and when he was going to be there. Well, how do you know that? You know it because Nobody you pull- asked the question. Nobody actually asks that question. Uh huh. But it becomes I mean, you took off with extra fuel tanks to go to a very specific place at a very specific time. How did you know to be there? Mm-hmm. Well, nobody wants to say it, but we cracked your codes. But somehow or another, and I'm not sure how, Bill, the Japanese still don't get that and still continue to use the same codes. Even after the loss of Admiral Irosuko Yamamoto, the mastermind of the Pearl Harbor attack, the United States still manages to, cl- to, to protect its classified war stuff. Now, we've watched leaks in the last couple of weeks. Technically, Operation Vengeance was never technically leaked, but all these claims and counterclaims and arguments and controversy and everything else, the Japanese still never seem to catch on to it, which is so weird to me, even, you know, almost 80 years later, that they never seem to catch on that, oh, our codes were broken. And it's like they just never seem to figure that out. April 18th, like I said, is a nexus date, and with everything else that happened, it was this date in 1943 that saw the death of Admiral Irosuko Yamamoto at the hands of the 339th Army Air Corps Squadron P-38s. They managed to accomplish one of the most remarkable intelligence coups of all time. They knew where he was going to be. They managed to get there with a Navy compass, by the way, and in doing so took out essentially the heart and soul of the Japanese Imperial Navy once and for all. And they never, ever recovered from that. And we're back with your calls for Dave Bowman on Dave Does History. 321-768-1240. I'll get it out in a minute. We'll continue in 60 seconds on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us. Dave Does History on Bill McLive. 321-768-1240. Dave, we seem to know back in those days and, and in days earlier that uh, we coined phrases like loose lips sink ships. Do we have that mindset in America today no, or we is, let's grab don't. the secret and do what we can with it? Let's get famous. Let's be Jewel and Assange. Let's do something like that. Right. Let's let's be, you know, impress our buddies on a discord server. I, there is something that has changed and. You know, when you look at World War II and the way that the media related to the military and what they, I mean, Eisenhower told the press what was going to happen on June 6, 1944, and then said, please don't print this until after it happened. And they mm-hmm. didn't. And what changed? Can you imagine that happening today? No. And Not what, at all. What changed? I, I think that what changed, and, and this is, you know, you're you're kind of at a broad, you're painting with a very broad brush here, but... The Pentagon Papers during Vietnam, when it became obvious that the the government and particularly the military was lying about things, um, 
whether you can justify those lies or not, really not the relevant issue. When it became clear that they were lying, you know, the trust goes down. Well, you got the same thing happening today. I mean, this leak with the uh, with the airmen, nobody's talking about what's in the leak. All they're talking about is the leaker and, you know, the 21-year-old and this, that, and the other. Nobody's talking about the fact that the leaks are showing that, you know, the, most of what we're being told about the war in Ukraine is a lie, that Ukraine is losing, that they are in desperate shape. And how convenient. So it, it's, a, it's a media prop up of an event that's not going as it, it, we could have had AI create this story. Could huh? have. For all we know, they did. But it's, you know, how convenient that this leak is being welcomed by Ukraine because it shows that they desperately need help. And many in American government are looking at this going, see, we need to we need to spend more billions of your money on this war. So you get to this point where you just don't trust anything anymore because you you don't know who you can trust anymore. You don't there's no. I, I guess in a way, there's no clear cut right and wrong like there was during World War Two. The Japanese and the Germans were the em- the enemy, period. And mm-hmm. you treated them as the enemy. And nowadays it's like, well, half this country thinks Ukraine is our ally. Half this country knows that it's you know, the most corrupt nation on earth. Um, how do you unite a country around that? And I, and I don't know the answer to that. Well, politician, politicians asking that question every two or four or six years. Let's get to the phones. Line one, you're on with Dave Bowman on Bill McLive. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Dave. It's Brody. Yeah, Brody. What's on your mind here, buddy? Dave, could you think that the Japanese um, might have not known about, was this the same time that the Navajo co-talkers were going and they were trying to figure out our codes and trying to break our code um, and our uh, cryptid messages systems? You know, maybe that's why they were too concerned about breaking our own codes that they thought that they we couldn't break their codes. Interesting question, Brody. Thank you, Dave. The code talkers, the Navajo code talkers actually come about. This is about the time they start where they really become effective is later in 1944, 1945. And while they're trying to break our codes and it doesn't make any sense because, you know, nobody speaks Navajo except for the Navajo. What a brilliant idea that was. The the problem is you get this this attitude of invincibility, and that's what the Japanese had with their codes. The Germans, by the way, had the same thing. When the Enigma machine got broke, they, they refused to believe that the Enigma machine uh, got got captured and broken. And so they never changed their codes. This is, you know, basic code systems 101. You never not change your code. You change your codes up on a regular basis because otherwise, and you don't use the same systems because of the chance that they could be broken. The Japanese, in my view, should have figured this out, especially after Midway. They should have known after Midway that we were reading their codes. Otherwise, there's no way we we pull that off. But they didn't. And then when Yamamoto is is killed in Operation Vengeance on this date in 1943, then they certainly should have figured it out because it, it, there's the odds on 16 P-38s with drop tanks being at exactly the right place at exactly the right time without being told about it is zero. This was, this was out of their range. This had to be planned, and yet they still don't figure that out. And I, 
to this day, I think that's one of the biggest mysteries of World War II is why the Japanese don't figure that out. That's interesting. Well, going back to our recurring theme of the day with artificial intelligence, how does that change the coding world? Oh, Lord. I can't. Can we even imagine? That's hard to even think about because now, even if you break the code, do you believe it or not? I mean, how much... How much <laughs> false flag stuff do you put into a to an AI thing that and and you know it goes back to other stuff, Bill. What if I let you break my code so that I want you to read what I think you want to read, even mm-hmm. though that's not really the case? I mean, how much of that is going on? And it's boy, that's that. Well, that goes back to Schwarzkopf and, uh, and Desert Storm, right? right where right. CNN broadcast, here's what we're doing, here's where people are set up. And it was all, right. let's let them think this and we're going somewhere else. Which is right out of Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy wrote a novel long before that where they did exactly that. They they put on mm-hmm. a fake news report that convinced the enemy that things were the way they were. And, you know, it's weird that fiction has come to life. Truth has become stranger than fiction, I guess, in, in so many ways. So M5 is running the enterprise? Is that what you're telling oh, me? Lord. <laughs> now I really feel like Captain Dunsell, don't I? Uh, don't we all? That's interesting. Dave, uh, any idea what you're looking ahead to in Dave Does History? You Give know, him a little hint of what may be coming up. Uh, you know, you had to ask me that, didn't you? You had it in mind, and then I brought the question. Right. To the I, it's gone. Sorry. That's quite I all right. I written down, but. You can catch up. By the way, Dave is back with um, What the Frock. It aired on Sunday, and it's available on the podcast at thedavebowmanshow.com. So you can catch up with what Dave and Rod are doing. Dave's podcast, Plausibly Live, back as well. You'll hear more episodes from him throughout the week. And you'll catch Dave Bowman with us here every Tuesday on Bill McLive with another edition of Dave Does History. That's going to do it for our Tuesday on this 18th of April, a Nexus Day on Bill McLive and through history, apparently, too. Dave Bowman, fun hour, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate the hard work. I appreciate that. You can get me at Dave at the Dave Bowman Show dot com or text me 209-565-3283. 209-565-DAVE. That'll put you in touch. And uh, he's good about answering the text, not so much on the email. He'll tell you he doesn't read the email, but somehow he knows what's in him. We'll see you tomorrow. It's Wide Open Wednesday. We go with your topic starting at 6 in the morning. I'll see you then. Enjoy your Tuesday, everybody.